Hey, Mohit. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so you, you have it pretty right. About 10 years ago, I started the company. And at that point, I was doing web development, online marketing. I then pivoted into IT support. And I was kind of within companies. And, and I had a bit of a pulse of where the pain points were. And at a certain point, one of the big pain points I saw was companies were not using software and they weren't using, uh, if they did have software and they weren't using it properly. So that's where I had a pain point of my stepfather's business and he was having just issues following up with people. So I learned about the CRM space and the document e-signature space and I just kind of fell in love with it. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like what if I start selling this to companies, implementing it? And then from there, um, I kind of, I fell in love with it. And it's like, okay, I think there's actually a problem I'm solving here working with these small and medium-sized businesses Whereas before doing web development and online marketing, it was like everyone could kind of do it to some degree. Everyone could set up a Squarespace website. And I, I love the artist inside of it. So it was like, I don't know if I can really build a business through this. So I've been doing that for the past 10 years, but really the past like six years have been me doing the uh, CRM implementation software and then the, the integration side of things as well for companies. Fantastic. So you started your first company. So this is your first company or uh, you did something else before this? No. So this is actually my first job in my first company. Um, I was partnered up at the beginning of it about four years in. I ended up just taking it over myself full time. So this is all I've ever done, all I've ever known. I've always just worked for myself. But the first four or five years, I was making between five and ten thousand dollars a year. So it was not I was self-employed, but it was, you know, not super functional. Got it. So. You started with Cyberbytes Inc. and then you uh, moved into a product, uh, Efficient App. You still have Cyberbytes on the side or it's only Efficient App these days? Yeah, so Cyberbytes, the, the delineation, I guess, between the two is that Cyberbytes is more of this custom integration company. So if you are using, say, Copper CRM, G Suite, and something like QuickBooks Online, Cyberbytes is the company that can connect QuickBooks Online and Copper CRM. So connect the APIs together, um, really solve these pain points from a more technical custom perspective. Um, but efficient app is more of a processized approach for implementing CRM, implementing some processes, maybe some automations. So it's kind of like the second that you get into, hey, cool, like this automation is great, but like, can we tweak this to do this, this, and this instead? That's when I'm like, okay, Cyberbytes is more of what that business is. So I want to kind of keep them separate. So efficient app is scalable. Cyberbytes is really not super scalable. It's more of that custom and you got to charge more for it to maintain it and everything. Oh, got it. Brilliant. So I'm curious, are you a technical person yourself or do you take help from somebody else? When you have, we are, when yeah. you're trying to connect all of these things together. Yeah. So um, I've it taught myself how to do web development way back in the day. Um, I was definitely more of a front end developer. So like learning HTML, CSS, and some bits of JavaScript, and then getting into some of the front end frameworks, uh, Angular, and I definitely learned a bit of that. And getting into the back end side, I just I wasn't a huge fan of it. But once I started implementing software for companies and started seeing that there was like integration needs, that's when I kind of dove into the world of APIs, and I found this company called Zapier. And that's an integration company that you can say connect two uh, services together. They will take the two APIs, which is quite confusing, and they just make it easy to do the connecting. So for there, I started implementing that for companies. 
And I used it for about a year before I even really understood what an API was. And I was like, I think I need to actually figure out what this thing is. And I dove into it. I'm like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. It's actually like the layer of connective tissue for software. So then I kind of fell in love with that. So I started going deeper in kind of the JavaScript area because manipulating data is really important for APIs. So I'm, I'm technical. Uh, there's a level in which I stop being technical and I would lean more on someone that's a backend developer. But the services that I sell, um, you really just need that integration API level of technical technicality and I'm a really good systems thinker, a problem solver. So I could build a lot of automations without the help of anyone. So I kind of fall into that role. Okay. So um, you said you started out as a partner in this company and then eventually took it over, took over it. What was the journey mm -hmm. like? Uh, so somebody else was doing it. You met this person and then you both partnered up or what, what really happened? Yeah. So funny story. The partner was actually my stepfather. So I was an employee of his business. So actually I lied. My first uh, job was actually for my stepfather's construction company. And I was doing just general admin for him. And it one day he said, Hey, Alex, you know, like I need some help with web development. Um, my website is outdated, whatever, whatever, whatever. So anything you can do with it, because I need to do something with online, my online presence. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll figure it out. This is before the days of Squarespace. This is before the days where you can easily spin up a website. So I was using Adobe Dreamweaver, trying to figure out how to build a website and offering that service to him, it did not go over super well. I didn't understand design or any facets. So I create this website, it's not using his color scheme. And he's like, you know, this looks like shit in kind of a joking way. And I got super offended because I'm like, like I tried so hard to learn and everything like that. But I got to a place where I started to love web development and I became an artisan in the space. So all the cutting edge stuff I started researching, I spent all my free time. I was going to college full time, but spending most of my time, even during college, just like studying web development. So then I got to a point where he's like, hey, like we should offer this to other people. And I was like, okay, yeah, like that's a good point. So he's like, here, I'll open up a company and we can just be partnered in the company. So it was actually my stepfather who's my partner. And we did that for about four years. And it took, you know, all of my time. It's where I put all of my time into. And I'm kind of like, well, wait a minute. So here's my stepfather spending 70 hours a week running a construction company. And he's my partner. He's supposed to be the salesman on the technical end. And I realized I got to a point where I was using him as a crutch. I'm like, he's not going to these networking events and selling this software to people, um, our solution or anything like that. And I was like, this, this doesn't make sense that we're even 50-50 partners. So I got to a point where um, I essentially went to him and it was it was tough. There was a point for about nine months where I was living at home with my, my mom and my stepfather and we didn't talk for nine months. Like I, like I would be, I would have, be a man of very few words because I was just so like, I had so much disdain for our relationship. It just kind of like festered. And I'm like, I'm putting everything into this, making no money. And he owns 50% of the business. Like this just doesn't make sense. So I got to a point where I give the ultimatum where I'm like, Hey, like, let me buy you out or whatever that means. Or, you know, you run with this on your own. I'm going to create a competing company called Cyberbytes 2 or whatever. <laughs> and I'm going to go and do this thing. And it was, you know, tough. But about like three months after that, he's like, you know what? I support you. I'm not going to run with this and do anything like, you know, you, you have the business and run with it. And uh, our relationship is healed. I've pivoted and he's now a client. He's actually my, one of my long, long lasting clients, my, one of my first clients. So still service him today in a different perspective. His business has grown a ton and uh, he's super happy with how everything has gone. So. Oh. That's fantastic. That, that's a good ending to the story. Okay. So um, I want to understand. So now you are juggling between Cyberbytes and Efficient. So how, how, what, what does your typical day look like? Do you have a team at both of these places who take most, who, who take care of most of the things or how do you distribute your time between these two? 
Yeah, so because I, I, get to, I guess I didn't explain it too well, but with Zapier, you can essentially automate processes. And with automation, using computers to do tasks, I've been able to free up a lot of my time. So I don't really have anyone helping me. I've tried to go the path of a VA and having other people help me, but I don't really have really delegatable tasks because any delegatable tasks, I've built automations for them. So like reconciling my books, using software that can help me auto reconcile a lot of the stuff. So whenever a, a virtual card is charged for say, you know, this software, it automatically puts it into the right category within QuickBooks. So great, now I don't need to reconcile anymore. So I hired a CPA, he could do the, the lasting of, of the reconciling and things like that. But so, so what does my day look like? Well, I, I really kind of, I got to a point when I was running my prior business and when I pivoted to IT, every day was I was being pulled. A support ticket would come in and I would have like, oh, okay, like I need to take care of this. Or I would wake up to phone calls, you know, at 6 a.m. sometimes, or even at like 11 a.m. because, but I was up until like four or 5 a.m. just coding because I loved it. But I would get disrupted by 11 a.m. Like server's down, what's going on? And it all fell on me. So I had this like anxiety waking up at a certain point. So in my business now, I'm like, I need to uh, get as far away from that as possible and set boundaries. So now I really don't, have any calls or any work that I have to do before 1 p.m. my time because okay. I, I like kind of getting up in the morning and working on what I want to work on or say taking the day slow and maybe just like making a cup of coffee and going through my emails for the day and just kind of like really taking this 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 process approach to things. So I'm going to do this now. I'm really going to focus on it and versus the path of like support ticket comes in. Shoot, this has my attention now. Of course, if something urgent happens, I do have an eye on it and that will take my attention over um, but I try to set the expectation with clients now that there shouldn't be any urgency in what's happening and we should be you know, notified through our own internal systems as something arises. So my day is typically slow and I'm just taking it to the point as well where I'm like, okay, let's only take phone calls on Tuesday and Thursday because I like to have focused work. So it's for today, it's, it is, it's Thursday. And yes, I'm doing a meeting at 8 p.m., bit of an exception, but I had meetings all throughout the day because Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I like to be able to do focus work. I'm sure you're familiar with programming. Yes. Sometimes you like to just dive in and just have like a solid three, four or five hours. The time just flies sometimes. Yep. And I had a point where I would maybe schedule one phone call at like say 2 p.m. Okay. And I would get to a point where for maybe two or three hours, I would have time to work, but I had an upcoming call and I would never allow myself to get into that focused work. So it was really disruptive. So I'm like, I'm actually not going to schedule phone calls anymore between these hours because it's better to kind of batch everything in life and set those boundaries as well. So if you schedule a time on my calendar, it's only Tuesday, Thursday, that's the only choice you get. Even if you're a client that needs support, I still try to kind of push that off. Oh, fantastic. So, so you do all the deep work on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and probably on the weekends. But uh, for the Tuesdays and Thursdays, they, these are only reserved for calls. So you get done with all the calls, meetings, everything within these two days. And uh, the three days are just for the deep work, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes a Tuesday or Thursday, I don't have actually anything on the books, but, and then that could kind of turn into a deep work day if I'd like, or genuinely, like it could be a Tuesday, Thursday, or Wednesday. As you've mentioned, the weekend pops up as well. I'm, I'm someone that like, I've been able to get to a point where I can kind of afford myself to work 
when I'm feeling like it, okay. because I feel like I'm more productive and efficient when I'm in the mood to work. And I think more, most people are like, I'm going to work Monday to Friday and, you know, nine to five. Um, I'm sure you felt this, like, what if it's a yeah. Wednesday and it's like, you know, 9am and you're like, I am having just not a focus day. Like I'm not going to be efficient, productive today. It's better to just take the day off and not feel bad about it. And then you can work later. And and realistically getting focus work done as well. Everyone like who works nine to five, if you just get three productive hours of focus work in, you're gonna be getting much more work done than an eight hour day of someone that's in the office being pulled every which way, their attention changing. So I feel like that's been kind of an unlock where it's like do these focused triage sessions of work and you actually get a lot more work done in a 24 hour work day than, than most people. Oh, absolutely. I can totally second you on every single point of that. I mean, I'm one of those people who some days, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, a, if I'm a morning person, night person. Some days I feel very productive during the nights. Some days I feel very productive during the mornings. And some days I'm just very productive during the afternoons. So whenever that productivity kicks in, I make sure that I have all the tools near me and then just, I just start uh, going in. So I know that you think uh, of a week in terms of days, uh, which are the days for deep work and which are the days for um, meetings and calls. But uh, do you have any practices to think in terms of days? I mean, if uh, you have a day, how do you plan your day? Say mornings are for the deep work, evenings are for the family or anybody or your friends, or it, you just uh, go along the day, however it comes turns out to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I, I kind of get to this point where I, I, I like the idea, there's this this term kind of going around called the non-linear workday. Um, my girlfriend, uh, she works remotely and it's kind of one of those things that we can share and like, in the middle of the day, if we don't have a lot of work going on, we can be like, hey, do you want to go for a walk? And it's and it's something where it's like you could kind of just take a sporadic break from work. We could come back and say, hey, do you actually want to watch like a TV show? Like, you know, we'll, we'll take some time off in the middle of the day and then like later in the day, we'll get back into work. So since a lot of the work that we're doing, it's kind of asynchronously for, for clients. I don't physically need to be on a phone call with a client while I'm doing work. If anything, that's super disruptive. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, hey, are you in the mood to do this? If not, like, let's do something else and get our mind off of it. And maybe we'll be back in the mood a little bit later. So I really like that kind of uh, that mindset and approach to things. So I don't really have anything like preset. It's really what am I feeling in the day? And a lot of factors affect that. I could be burned out. Like I'm probably going to be burned out tomorrow because today was just a long day with meetings. I'm an introvert. I'm forced to be more of an extrovert over phone calls. So like it's taking it, it, it's, you know, my cup is draining, but tomorrow I'll fill up my cup by maybe even just taking a very lazy day. And then I'll probably in the middle of the day, uh, end of day, I'll start getting into it. And it might like work on some stuff or build some automations. Oh, fantastic. Uh, okay. So circling back to the automations, I see that you must have automated a few things in, in your business, in your professional life, but um, do you use automations also for your personal life? You know, so I, I guess that's that kind of, funny piece where my my professional life and personal life life they're so interconnected that I, I guess really these automations that I'm building may be for professional but it's it's kind of also helping for the mental clarity and in the middle of the workday I might be doing a personal thing so it's, I think it's like like anything, I would say that automating in my professional life gives me the clarity for my mind in my personal life. And there's such an overlap that I'm not specifically like, okay, cool. Like when I walk into the house um, or like when a meeting is triggered, have it like turn the lights down or like the music down in the house. Like there's something that you could, I guess you could do from like an if this, then that type of thing for personal usage. But I, I feel like a lot of that stuff is like perceived efficiency and productivity. It's not really making a dent. 
the stuff that really makes a dent is um, in, in your job, like what are things that you're doing over and over and over and can you automate those? Cause then it will clear you up from having like, okay, I could just like stop thinking about this thing because something is being taken care of now. And now, yeah, I believe automating in business to clear up your personal life versus trying to look for things in your personal life to really, I guess, find efficiency. Okay, so now I'm intrigued, Alex. Um, could you share some examples and maybe you know, even in your personal life, like kind of automations that you have done? So you have said that this is one automation where uh, all the car charges are booked automatically in the QuickBooks so that your CPA can take care of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other kind of automations are there? So if um, somebody is listening this th- in uh, podcast, this episode for some inspirations, what they can do with Zapier and automation in their life? Yeah, I mean, so so this is an area that I've I typically go quite deep on things just to see if they're feasible. Like, will the API allow for this? Because then it will also allow me to go into a client um, and be like, okay, this is or is not possible. So it's something that I guess I'm most proud of that I use quite a bit, but I would probably never even build for a client because there's just so much work involved in it. Is I have a support desk, so clients will write into support at efficient app or whatever else is going on. And um, I also use Asana for all of my tasks. So to organize all the stuff that I need to do for the day, for the week, or just like, you know, renewals and things like that are coming up, it pops in and lets me know. Um, And then finally, I use a a time tracking tool, Harvest, to track my time, because sometimes I will bill against a client or they'll be on like, uh, you know, support package here where they're getting a set amount of hours per quarter, and I need to kind of take time off of that. Well, I, what I have happen is when someone writes into the support desk, it automatically goes in and creates a ticket or essentially a task within Asana. And it pulls in all of the important data points of, of like, well, who is the client? What is their support tier that they're on? And like all these expectations and what is the priority of the support ticket? And then from there, I can actually track my time in Harvest directly from Asana. So I kind of have this like living task that I could turn into this bigger thing if I need to. And then I'll also track my time against that and that will automatically tie it to the respective client. So it sounds a bit strange what's going on, but ultimately when a support ticket comes in, it I just get this pop-up in this note section of the support ticket that says, hey, here's the task for this. So I jump into the task, I start tracking my time, anything I need to do for like, oh, follow up with them next week about this piece of it. I just created it as a subtask and I have everything kind of like cohesively put together there. It, it, it uses um, you know five separate zaps and mm-hmm. it is one of those apps is like 50 steps. So it's very complex. And there's this inner loop at one point of like a webhook hitting to another webhook. Because anytime, say, a, a support ticket is marked as pending or closed, it automatically also goes over to, to Asana and changes the status of it and moves it along the process or closed and marks it as complete. So there's kind of this cohesive, like two way sync of sorts going on. And so I just know if I go into Asana, I know if that if my today is is empty, I've caught up for everything I could have possibly possibly done for the day. Okay, so um, is it also possible? So if any support ticket comes in, uh, I'm not sure if you do support throughout the day or only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Does your Zap also take care of like which day to park this ticket on? Um, I typically so with anything, most tickets that come in, they're they're kind of like a priority two or three, and a priority two is like a two day response time, and a priority three is like a three to five day response time. So um, sometimes sometimes I'll go through and I'll just check in. So a lot of this goes to Slack as well, and I could just kind of see like, oh shoot, like this is clearly like an important ticket. Um, so I'll check that throughout the day a little bit here or there. Most tickets I kind of ignore. If I see like high priority, like things have broken, where things go wrong is automations break for a client and that can get out of control. The systems I have in place for that, it's like I have alert tickets that automatically trigger to come in. And if those alert tickets start stacking up, 
that's probably going to trigger before the client is writing in. So I have a higher priority. If an alert ticket comes in, that comes in and it assigns to me, which does kind of pop up and be like, hey, something's going on here. Whereas a client support ticket doesn't necessarily pop up into my interface and be like, hey, something's going on here. I actively check support tickets, alert tickets kind of check and ping me. So that's kind of where um, I've been able to prioritize that. And if something is, is broken and it's really affecting a client where they could be losing a lot of money from it, then I'm going to prioritize that. Like, yeah, I'll drop everything right now and, and do that. But most of the time I want it to be active versus reactive. I find that when I'm in a reactive mindset, I am stressed, everyone else around me is stressed and it's, I'm not actually productive. So I try to stay away from reactive as much as I can. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Alex, this brings me to my next question, which is you try to be very active uh, on things, offensive rather than, than just defensive and being reactive to mm -hmm. things. How do you really stay productive? I mean, I tried it. I tried to be active on everything, uh, on all the things that I have going in my life. Uh, and I felt drained very soon. So then said, hey, to be active on only those couple of things and then probably reactive to the other things. Um, but how do you manage to stay productive throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the months, throughout the years? Or do you also have some low days where you just take rest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's unrealistic and unreasonable to expect every day for that to happen. When when those days do come up, I definitely I don't beat myself up about not being productive. I, I think I did for a while where even on the weekend, if I didn't do something productive for the day, like checking my email or building an automation or doing something, I would beat myself up and be like, I'm not being productive. Um, I've, I've trained myself and tried very hard to set these boundaries, even with myself. So I'm good with setting boundaries with clients and externally, it's taken me years to do. Uh, boundaries being don't give your clients your telephone number because then they will text you and once they get it, they will never like, you know, they will never respect it. Don't write to my direct email address, write to support. If a client writes to my direct email address, I ignore the email for a couple of days. I will then forward it to my support desk. And then about a day or two later, I will respond back from the support desk and say, hey, sorry, I missed this. I don't check my email that often. Please in the future right here. And so I'll give them a slower response time and I will reward clients that are using the system and processes in place um, by responding to them more, more quickly. So I guess that's ultimately how, how I do that. I, I don't beat myself up when I'm not feeling like I'm going to be productive for the day. Yeah, I think that's probably and, and having the, the boundaries in place to respect that as well. Got it. But when you have to stay productive, do you have any systems to get into the productive zone, uh, into that flow state to crank all the uh, deep work? So what's so funny is I was just talking to my girlfriend the other day about this and she uh, we had both been with with people in the past, partners in the past, where it's like I might be like watching a YouTube video about gosh, it could be anything. It could be about business. It could be about crypto. It could be about, you know, it doesn't really matter. And, and sometimes by seeing these other people being like, like ready to go switched on and whatever, I, I start getting into this mindset of like, I'm ready to work. I'm like ready to do like watching a show, like a business show. Like, I don't know if you, if you've watched the prophet Marcus Lemonis, or um, there's another show that's, um, what is it? It's, it's undercover billionaire that just recently came out. And these people have to grind from nothing to try to build a million dollar business in the course of three months. And it's like watching them be so scrappy and, and working things out. It's like, I leave watching that show motivated to work. I'm like, I'm ready to work. So as weird as it is, sometimes to get into the mode, I need to do something that seems super unproductive. So I see my girlfriend do that and she sees me do that and we don't judge each other on it. It's like, go for it. That's cool. Like, I love it. Whereas prior relationships, it's like, I thought you said you need to work. Why are you watching YouTube, right? Like, 
like you get that feeling that vibe out there and it's like no 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 no. i'm preparing myself to work like this is going to get me in the mindset to work and it's such a weird thing but i i feel like someone having like shoot i need to do that essay or i need to get this client worked on and you have to sit down and you have to do it that doesn't mean that you're actually going to come to it with the energy that it requires to get the work done in in the most productive and the best way possible oh fantastic so uh this is this is beautiful and also a little poetic that to get into the productive zone you do something unproductive which yeah. pushes you into that pro, uh, into that productive zone oh that's beautiful yeah. and uh, okay so did you ever get burned out burn out not not just for a day um, like a phase for days for weeks maybe where you just didn't feel to get to anything you just felt like hey let me just rest or uh, maybe watch a movie read a book just take a walk but uh not do anything creative yeah so so burnout what i've realized at least for myself burnout is what happens when you don't have boundaries set for yourself or externally because burnout really happens when you have like clients reaching out to you having high expectations and you putting pressure on yourself that you need to get all this work done like just having too many things going on and then also jumping in for times of focus work so i believe that if you spend a lot of time in focus work you need to give yourself the rest to be able to continue that at you know um afterward and for the days to come but if you're in focus work like if you're a business owner like you are like there's days that you're going to be focused in and working so hard and then if you have all these support tickets coming in and now that takes your priority all of a sudden you realize burnout is approaching like i'm i was i was approaching burnout the other day because i didn't get enough sleep and i had back to back meetings all day and i had client work and then i had this thing come up where we're actually kind of going to be selling the house that we're looking at it's a friend's uh house and we're going to be helping them and whatever so we had to clean the house and we were up until 2 a.m. cleaning all the stuff like that so it was just like okay i'm approaching burnout because the the unexpected stuff that i didn't have boundaries toward came up so i didn't get to disconnect when i needed to to keep myself chugging along So and the way to prevent burnout is to not let these unexpected things come up and to have boundaries in place so that they don't come up. And I realized that I I would get in these kind of bad moods lately when this stuff was happening. I'm like, "Oh, it's actually happening because I have such strong boundaries in everything I do in life and here's one area that I don't I can't control. Therefore, it is now kind of it's breaking my boundary and it's what's burning me out." So it's like, "Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. How do I set better boundaries so that I can prevent that from happening in the future?" Oh wow and um how how, uh, how do you go about setting those boundaries do you just tell people hey these are my boundaries or uh, do you take some other steps definitely like the the one example that i had where if a client writes in either say like through a text message if they somehow got my number or if they wrote in by email part of myself setting the boundary is i think the other person needs to feel some level of like I don't want to say pain because that's not true but like you're going to get a slower response because you didn't follow the process. So I'm teaching you that I have boundaries by doing it in a strategic way and being like hey like if, you know in a way I almost want to be like sure if you want to email me directly that's fine but I check my email once a week. That's not fully true. I just don't check my email. I don't I don't keep on top of it to that degree. So you're going to get a slower response or if you follow the proper process my entire team monitors this. and it's set up in the systems and processes where i could probably track my time all this stuff is there so i could also solve your support ticket quicker which will cost you less money so there's all these negative effects that happen when you don't follow my processes and you break my boundaries so i try to do it in that way it's like you're going to feel pain monetarily time response like what how do i make you feel pain through not following my processes which processes give me proper boundaries so what what happens if somebody is just simply not aware of your processes 
Yeah, of, of course. I mean, with, with anything like that, it's it's like, what can you do to educate them on that in, in a way that's like not, obviously you don't want to be offensive or, or, or expect that of anyone. It's normal if someone doesn't follow your processes. And that's where you kind of use that to educate them in a sense. So like I, I have a client that would write me to my, my, my direct email and yes, I would take some time to respond because I need to kind of set the precedent. Like you're getting a slower response. And I say, hey, I'm so sorry. Didn't see this email come in. I see that this is urgent. I don't check my personal email that often. So your best bet would be to write into the support email. So you're kind of educating them through that. And if they keep doing that enough times, then I'm going to get an even slower response. But I will still have that nice message to them. Hey, so sorry about this, blah, blah, blah. Like, please write into the support email for the best response and whatever else. Because we monitor that more closely than my email is being monitored. So it's, it's, you never need to be like, Hey, you're not following my processes and like call them out on it or be offensive or aggressive or anything like that. It's just like, Nope, it's a time to educate. And I get it. You're probably busy as well, but like, please follow the processes and you'll get the best customer experience from me. Oh, this is brilliant. Um, and this gives me an idea. Uh-huh. So I have some processes as well, uh, but those are like mm. only for my friends and families. Like uh, if you want to get um, mm. uh, to me and to talk about something, to discuss an idea or anything, uh, because my calendar is like almost full, mostly with deep work and then some calls here and there. Even if I love brainstorming, I mean, if you come up with an idea and say, hey, uh, can we just discuss the idea, this idea for 50, 15 minutes? And if I'm intrigued, I'll spend 30 minutes discussing that idea. So yeah. I have like uh, just told these people, hey, this is how uh, just drop me a text about this idea blurb and then we go forward and i was lately i was thinking to build a website something like this how to talk to mohit.com something like this and put this website as a, a link in my email autoresponder and uh, mm. uh, so for all the email coming in uh, this email will go out and on the website you can see hey if you are a client of mohit if you are paying mohit if mohit has promised you something like keep clicking so next step will keep um, hey for your case uh, send him an email at this email address for your use case, send him a text. Um, mm. Probably you have his phone number. Uh, just just to make sure uh, I get something like this. Again, something that I thought of doing but haven't gotten to uh, to, to it yet. I'm not sure. It might sound very arrogant and rude too, because <laughs> they'll get a link. Hey, um, this is the procedure you have to follow. No, no, I think it's it's fair. Like you look look at people who have found a lot of success in their career. Like I'd speak to people like Tim Ferriss and Kevin Rose and. Um, there, there are people that a lot of people want their time. And I guess really the, the problem is a lot of people think they have great ideas. And I, so I built an app back in the day for BlackBerry 10. Um, it, it, operating system doesn't really exist anymore, but because I learned app development and that was kind of an identity of myself, anyone that I spoke to, they're like, oh, you build apps, I have this great idea. And of course, everyone has an idea. It's about the execution. It's about the marketing. It's like, it, there's so much more involved to get it across the line that I've taken enough calls with people who have great ideas and I feel like, oh, I can help in some way. And it's actually draining to me to the point of like, I get off the phone call, I'm not motivated to do work and I'm just like burned out. So some of it is being in tune with that where it's like, as much as I want to help people, I think I would have, we would have like a better conversation. Like, so you found some success in what you're doing. I think we would have a better conversation about that and you'd get more from me and I would get more from you versus someone who's starting out. Someone who's starting out, you also need to talk to someone that's also kind of starting out because I got to a point where I was giving people were like, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. And I would be like, 
don't start a business. It's going to be so, if you're getting to do it for the money, you're going the wrong path. Like you, if you want to feel like you are drowning most of the time and not get paid well, then that's where you go and do a business, but you will grow more than you'll grow anywhere. It is the most growing thing ever, but growing is not going to pay the bills right now, not immediately. So in the short term, don't start a business. But if in the long term, then that's when you ultimately start a business, because it's like, if you have the funds to keep you, I guess, busy, um, they can pay your rent and, and all these things. And, and a friend of mine, Sean McCabe, he had said this quote that stuck with, or someone had told him this quote and it stuck with me. And it's, you have to earn the right to play the long game. And I've always been a long game focused person. So you have to earn the right to play the long game. What does that mean? Well, you don't get to build a business unless you first built your foundation in the short term of I have stability, I have consistency. You don't have you don't have the right yet to play the long game, which is building a business, which will take time to do. So I think most people and most information out there is for the short game. It's like, oh, do this or get rich quick schemes. People think that I'm gonna start up an Amazon agency and, and or Amazon um, fulfillment by Amazon and sell this and blow this up and do $400,000 a month in revenue. Like that's the expectation that all these people have. And it's like, you haven't earned the right yet to build a successful business. So. I think that's kind of the the approach that I've been taking a lot lately, where it's like, I think long-term everything that I do, and I don't actually think that talking to someone starting out, I don't think I'm gonna be giving them the right advice for what they need to hear to keep them motivated, because I might tell them, don't start a business. And guess what? People who are starting out don't need to hear and shouldn't hear, don't start a business. But that's where I am in my career. I look back to how hard it was and how the first five years I made $10,000 in revenue. And it's like that, that is not something I would wish on anyone, but the growth, the personal growth, I wish that on a lot of people, I wish all of my friends started businesses. Cause I'm like, that would be like, I think we would connect so much. You would get so much fulfillment, but it takes so much time. And I don't think most people have done the short term, the short, the short term growth, um, long enough to be able to take, to stick it out for the long term, to, to reap the benefits and rewards of like where say we are now in business. So I would better connect with someone like you who's already put in the short term to now be able to do the long term because now we get to have a long term conversation. We get to talk about if we do this right, where can we be? Or what have you learned thus far? What can I learn from what you learn? How do I stop making these mistakes? And we can really help each other, but I don't think I can really help someone starting out anymore. My advice is really not going to be helpful to them realistically. Oh man, that's brilliant. You said one thing which really resonated with me. You have to do short-term things long enough to earn the right to play the long-term game. And uh, I never realized it, but uh, in the hindsight, I remember my first six years of just grinding, not making enough money. Everybody just asking me, hey, what are you really doing? I mean, you're just wasting time. And then, but I knew this growth happening because I, uh, okay, so quick story time. Six years ago, so in 2013, I was just starting out and I was, I'm an introvert, a huge introvert. I just could not speak to people. So I realized I need to do some phone calls called uh, outreach to get something moving. So beforehand, um, I would just make a script with everything, like all the possible questions that I could think of the other person could ask. I would write an answer for that so that on the phone call, I would just have to read it out uh, before without thinking. And uh, so what really happened was first few phone calls were, uh, they were great. I mean, they were short. I thought they were great. I mean, they were just being nice to me, but there was more often than not, there was these phone calls where some something out of this question, the list that I had uh, was asked and I would just have a panic attack, a minor panic attack on the phone call. I don't just say, uh, okay, uh, I'll get back to you uh, later. Bye. And I would just hang up the phone. <laughs> yeah. From there, 
so from there from that person who just could not talk to people on the phone then i saw myself growing uh, not just in terms of like able ability to speak but then uh, also ability to speak ability to negotiate able ability to convince and also slowly slowly i started enjoying time on stage uh, which was the big thing for me that uh, over 6 years i started enjoying my time on stage i i enjoyed giving talks uh, uh, just telling people about anything and everything uh, that was something i think i could not have learned any other way there's no it's, university which teaches you something like this i so resonate with that and i think the reason is so so here's the thing um people that are typically introverted they love connecting deeply with people they spend a lot of time in their mind a lot of deep thought and analysis so how how do you burn i'm guessing you and me out is go to someone and talk small talk with them about the weather and things like that for a long period of time i know not not everyone loves talking about that and that's saying that there's people that like that and don't like that i think it's there's some people that are entertainers in the fact that yeah like let me just talk to a bunch of people i don't care what i'm talking about I don't want to talk to people unless I can go deep with them. Like can we like I I I've had medical issues happen. I've had family passing. Like I've had all this shit happen to me. I want to talk to someone and go deep and connect with them about that versus talking about other stuff. Like once we get past the bullshit that is like this layer and barrier that everyone puts up, you get into the interesting stuff. You get into the second mountain conversations and you realize, wow, like a lot of people have had shit happen to them and there's stuff that you can really pull and gain from that and connect with people. So I think what what we probably are is uh we enjoy connecting with people and on stage like you get to connect with people in the purest ways because you just get to be yourself. You get to explain, you get to be vulnerable and it takes time and uncomfortability to become vulnerable and to be able to be a good speaker. So I I same same feeling. I went to school and then I went back and I was speaking to classes about how to start a business and things like that to the point where I'd record myself um speaking to classes and I'm like cool this is like podcast content and then I showed some of my family they're like I had no idea you were a salesperson and I'm like I've been running a business for 10 years and it took literally me showing you a video of me talking for you to be convinced that like I can negotiate with people but it, and it and it takes it takes that time though I realistically for me that story that I was that I was speaking to about my stepfather I would go to networking events and I would be nervous to talk to anyone that I didn't know and I would say in my head the success and failure of cyberbytes is predicated on whether or not you go and talk to someone I don't care about what but talk to someone and before that when I had a business partner I would go to these network events and I wouldn't talk to anyone and I, and I would just be like oh my stepdad you should be here you should be talking to people I would just make these internal excuses so by me being on my own I the only person I had to blame was me and that's what it actually took for me to talk to people get out of my shell and realize that I actually love people. I thought I hated people because I didn't like talking to people. Well, like, I actually love people. I just love <laughs> connecting with people. Yeah. I love people that have gone through shit that we can learn stuff together. So there's two types of people in this world and like I think if you've ran a business and you've gone through this, you're an interesting person and there's a lot that we can connect on and learn from each other on. Oh, absolutely. Um I mean, uh, even I thought I hate people because I keep run, running away from them, but then I realized yeah. I do not really hate people. I just hate some sort of conversations that I run away from. Uh because some yes. sort of conversations just feel me drained, but then there are other conversations which actually make me think more. Uh yeah. and I get excited about them. Okay, Alex, have you made ever made any mistakes uh, when it comes to time management? Be it like mistake on a daily basis or maybe mistake that you have been making for many months and then you later realized? 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, like anything, I think mistakes come from being reactive. So when, when I have things come up that I wasn't expecting or that I didn't plan for, then typically that's where I start becoming reactive and dealing with the thing and then dealing with the thing and dealing with the thing and either getting burnout or doing a poor job at it, like solving something very poorly, not being productive with it. And then more recently, I've been more mindful of this other piece. And um, again, Sean McCabe is someone that I learned this from. I was booking a meeting with him. He, he goes on an, a yearly sabbatical every seven years. He takes an entire year off of work. And every seven months, he takes a month off of work. But he does this kind of sabbatical thing. And so he was on his year sabbatical. So I reached out to him and his response back was, cool, I'm going to be off my sabbatical in three months. Around then, I'll send over a calendar invite of when we can throw time on the calendar because he's like, I'm taking this thing from Warren Buffett. What Warren Buffett says is if some, if you called up Warren Buffett two days you know, prior to a meeting that you want to have and say, hey, Warren, like I, I need to have this meeting with you in two days. Like, Can we have a meeting? Well, A, you get his assistant and his assistant would go and ask Warren and Warren would say, have him call me 24 hours prior. And it's like, okay, that's strange. So you call him 24 hours prior and he's like, I want you to call me 24 hours prior because I don't know what future Warren's going to want to do. Like three days after me, Alex, do I really want to have a meeting? I may know about 24 hours. Like, what do I feel like is going to go on tomorrow? And I could probably speak better tomorrow if I want to have a meeting today. So I stopped booking meetings too far in advance. So Sean reached out to me via email and he was like, hey, buddy, like, I'm ready to jump on a meeting. Here's a time on my calendar. And um, they're like, it was to a Calendly. And I was like, no, man, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to snooze this email every week and I'm going to see how I'm feeling. And I'm going to reach out to you when I'm feeling good throw a time at you. And if you're also feeling good, let's do that. It's more play by ear. And he reached out to me the other day and he was like, Hey buddy, like I'm in a good mindset today. Like, do you want to chat? And I was like, yeah, I'm in a great mindset. Like let's chat. We jumped on a call and we both connected really well during that call. And what worked was we didn't put something in the calendar and stick to it. Cause I could have had client work come up during that event and been like, I'm not coming with my A game. I'm not coming with the right mindset. So now I, so being more intentional about setting meetings with people when I want to do the thing versus booking it too far in advance. Cause future Alex hates when people, when, when prior Alex books <laughs> things too far in advance. <laughs> oh man, that this is fantastic. This is fantastic. I absolutely love it. I think I need to uh, limit my calendar links as well. To yeah. Into the future. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, Alex, we are towards the end of the conversation and this is a magical mm-hmm. question that I ask um, uh, everybody. If magically you got one additional hour every single day for the rest of your life, how, how would you spend it? Yeah, I mean, I I actually kind of feel like I, I have a good sense of, of time and I'm not like, I'm not like ending the day like I wish I had another hour today. So I think I, with enough boundaries and barriers that I put up in place, I think I'm kind of in a good spot with that. So realistically, I would probably spend it maybe more with, you know, family or friends or like maybe watching that YouTube video or probably more realistic listening to a podcast. Okay, if there's, if there's a thing that I've been like, shoot, I really wish I had a chance to do this today. Um, it's that I have a, a list of, of podcasts and then I love listening to podcasts because I learn about these things and then I can better connect with people. Podcasts are this means to go deep with people. So I may meet someone and I feel quite confident that if we talk long enough, there will be something we can go deep on, something that you're probably passionate about. And podcasts give me the ability to have a broader kind of knowledge of what's going on. So I feel like I become a more well-rounded individual and I stay more up to date on on topics, tech, news, everything like that when I'm listening to podcasts. So I guess that would probably be it. If I had an extra hour, I would listen to an extra hour of podcasts at the end of the day or just at any point throughout the day for sure. 
Incredible. Alex, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking out time. If anybody wants yeah. to follow, follow along your journey or maybe get in touch with you, of course, respecting your process and boundaries, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, if you genuinely want to, you can send me an email at abass uh, at efficient.app. So abass at efficient.app. My, my first name is Alex, last name is Bass. So it's my first initial last name. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex H Bass. And I, you can shoot me a DM or anything like that. So um, I do have a, a kind of filter in my inbox that if you email that specific email box, that's not it's not like directly to me, and it, it respects my you know it respects my boundaries in that sort. So I'm happy to give that out publicly. Um, my direct email address, I kind of stay away from that. But yeah. Fantastic. I'll put uh, your email address and your, and your Twitter link uh, both in the uh, blog post and the cool. show notes of the uh, episode. Uh, Alex, thank awesome. you so much for uh, talking to me. It was really a pleasure. Uh, hey, this uh, everybody, this was Alex of Efficient App. Check out Efficient. <laughs>